welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast. And today we have my friend Liz Fork and Bohannon joining us. Liz is the co founder and co CEO of Seiko Designs and the author of Beginner's Pluck Build Your Life of Purpose, Passion, and Impact Now. Guys, I loved this conversation. Liz's message is fire. And you know, I love the Enneagram and she's an Enneagram 8. So she has the power, the passion to keep going and to keep motivating us when it gets hard. Guys, if you're in the trenches of entrepreneurship or just getting started, this message is for you. I don't know about you, but I love a good old inspirational message that helps me keep going on the hard days. And this will be your anthem. Also, guys, I'll be joining Liz on her book tour. She's coming to Denver this Thursday, and there's still tickets. If you want to come see us, please come on out. I want to meet you. And Liz, her message, y'all, is so powerful. You've got to come. I'd love to see you there. If you're not in Denver, check out her tour dates because she's probably coming to a city near you, and you definitely won't want to miss it. But for now, let's get this party started. Let's dive into this conversation that's sure to leave you inspired. I know it left me super ready to roll. And guys, tell us what parts of this episode you love. Tag us in the stories. Tag Liz. Tag me. Tell us what parts of the episode you love and you found inspiring, and I'll be sure to repost it. Okay. Without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, Liz. Hey, I'm so excited to be here with you. I am so excited to have you on. I've been following along with you for years, so it is so fun to get to chat today. We have some mutual friends, and it's kind of like Finally, our paths cross. So I finally, yeah, at long last. And so, um, seriously, I'm so excited to have you on. I would love for you to start by sharing your story, who you are, what to do, all the things. Yeah. So my name is Liz Forkin Bohannon. I am a wife and a mom to two little boys, three and one, Will and Theo. I am the co-founder and CEO of a socially conscious fashion brand called Seiko Designs that exists to create community and opportunity for women all across the globe. What else? Let's say I live in an intentional community here in Portland, Oregon, and I love my coffee black, as long as it's good coffee. And I've unfortunately become a bit of a coffee snob since moving to moving to Portland. Um, but yeah, that's a little, that's the snapshot of who I am today. Okay. Well, you got to tell us more because A, where are you from originally? Is it Texas? Where are you from? Yeah. So I am actually from Missouri. So I grew up just outside of St. Louis and uh, went to the University of Missouri where I studied uh, journalism. And journalism is actually kind of the original pathway that I thought I was supposed to take that um, landed me about 10 years ago in the middle of East Africa in Uganda. Yes. Okay. So right after um, college, I went and lived in Mozambique for a little bit. And so I remember the first time I listened to your story, I was like, oh, I so connect with your journey. Would you share kind of how you went from living as a journalist overseas in East Africa to founding your own company. I think at some point you were selling 
stuff out of your trunk. Am I right? <laughs> like tell us all the things because I think we have a lot of listeners who are big dreamers and they don't know how to get started or they might be in the trenches of like, oh, wow, this was harder than I thought it'd be. So yeah, absolutely. I want to hear the full gamut. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I studied journalism when I was in university and I was really interested in issues that were facing women and girls that were living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones. And so um, I went out and looked for kind of my dream job, which I thought would be like a reporting gig that would send me overseas. And I couldn't find that. And so I ended up taking a, a job at a corporate communications firm. And about three months into that job, I had this realization that, you know, I said I was really passionate about issues facing women and girls living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones. However, I didn't have a single friend who grew up in that context. And my community was completely untouched um, and unaffected by these issues. And so I had this moment where I realized like, man, there's a real delta between what I say I care about and the actual life that I am building. And so I quit my corporate job and I bought a one-way plane ticket to Uganda. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a job. I didn't have um, a lot of goals other than to just learn and to build community. And so I show up in Uganda to do just that, to make friends and to build community. And I end up learning about an incredible group of young women in between high school and university who tested into college but couldn't afford to go. And so um, I decided to do something about it, to do something that could help kind of bridge this nine-month gap between high school and college for these really, really smart young women. And so long story short, I started a charity, like a sponsorship program where I was going to match up women in the U.S. with women in East Africa. And then through really a series of events and conversations and really just like diving in and learning more about the issues and surrounding myself with really smart Ugandans who knew a lot about uh, their own culture and community, um, became increasingly convinced that uh, we needed to solve this specific, really interesting problem with a marketplace solution. Um, that we needed to create jobs, that we needed to um, provide employment for this nine-month gap in between high school and college. And so I ended up starting a chicken farm, and that failed pretty miserably. And then next up, um, made a pair of these strappy, funky sandals, and I... um, went to the school. I I spent several months prototyping out these sandals and kind of figuring out how to make them and then went to the school and hired three young women, Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca. And I taught these three young women how to make these sandals. And then I made them a promise that changed the whole trajectory of my life. (laughs) I said, okay, if you make these sandals for the next nine months, I promise that you will go to university next fall. And they said, okay. And I said, okay. And then we started selling sandals out of the back of our car. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, let's, I'm going to pause there, but before we kind of focus on the sandals, because obviously that worked, but I want to talk about the chicken farm. How was it to lay down a dream that didn't go so well? I mean, would you call it a failed dream? Um, Were you devastated? I know that I've had some things not pan out. I think anyone who starts businesses, um, whether for-profit, non-profit, whatever, I mean, no entrepreneur is going to get through life unscathed. So absolutely. Yes. How did you navigate that? You know, I think at the time, and I write about this a lot in my book, not a lot, but I touch on it. I wasn't devastated, actually. Um, And I've now been devastated lots of times over the last 10 years. So it's not that I haven't experienced that emotion. But in the very beginning, I was so committed to solving this problem. 
I was less committed to how I did that. And um, meaning it was like, okay, here's the really interesting problem is this. Let's start this charity. And then I was like, okay, there's a better way to go about this. So let's do this chicken farm. And when the chicken farm didn't work, it just felt like, okay, but the problem still exists. So like, what's next? Like, what do we try next? And I can say that over the last 10 years, I haven't done that as well as I did during the early days and done that by done that. I mean, this mentality of, I have an entire chapter in my book that's called find and replace. And it kind of talks about the importance of actually maintaining focus on the interesting problem that you're trying to solve and not on the specific solution. Because when we get tied to the specific solution, here's my idea and I'm going to launch this and it's going to do this. And this is how people are going to react. We actually become more obsessed with like protecting and promoting the solution than we do the interesting problem that we're trying to solve. And in the beginning, I naturally did that because I had zero interest in starting a business. None of my identity was like, oh, I'm the successful entrepreneur. Like, in fact, I didn't like business. Like I thought business was super uninteresting and you would only be interested in it if you, you know, just wanted to get rich and build your own little kingdom. And I had no interest in fashion. So I actually really had this unique perspective of being pretty unattached to to the solution. I'm like, I just care about the problem. And the problem is enabling really bright young women to continue on to university and become leaders in their community. And I have had to learn over the last 10 years. And part of the reason that I wrote this book called Beginner's Pluck is all about like, what are those things that I did back in the early days? And this was one of them that came naturally to me back then because I was a beginner, but that actually are incredibly helpful tools and mindsets to have a year five years, 10 years into growing this company that actually in order to be the most creative and innovative leader I can be, part of my job is going to be about getting back to those mentalities and those things that I did really naturally in the beginning. And that's definitely one of them. So I can say I wasn't devastated. I was like, okay, chicken farm didn't work. What's next? How do we iterate? How do we like stay curious? What could work? What didn't work with that? What did work with that? What do I take? What do I leave? And how do I um, continue uh, iterating and evolving into something that that actually does work? I love that. And I think that's very true. I think the more we build, the bigger we build, the easier it is to become married to that identity of that iteration. And we, we do that a lot with like calling. What's my calling? Well, maybe it's to equip and encourage women, but we get so fixated on the one route we think is going mm-hmm. to do that. And then that's not actually the calling. The overall umbrella is not the expression of it. And so Absolutely. I think you're on to something and man, I needed to hear that. So, <laughs> um, okay. So after that, you're like, okay, moving on, breast dust off my shoulders. Let's what's next. So you kind of start creating these strappy sandals and how does that evolve and how does that get to the place of you're selling it out of the trunk of your car around the nation? Yeah. So I made these sandals and I taught these young women how to make them. And then I moved back to the U.S. with, I don't know, probably like five or 600 pairs of sandals. And I started selling them the only way I knew how. It's like, I didn't have a background in retail. I didn't have a website. I didn't have any connections. And so I kept a trunk full of sandals in the back of my car and I would work from coffee shops and I would strike up conversations with people. And then I would say, oh, interesting. You want to, you know, like I happen to have a size eight pair of sandals in the back of my car. I'll go right. 
fun and get a pair for you. And that slowly led to asking people if they would host me in their home. So like, hey, bring eight or 10 women over for a night. We'll drink some wine. I'll tell you this story. I'll show you these sandals. You know, we can tie them and style them up. I'll teach you how they work. And that um, ultimately started to spread. And people started to invite me into their homes. My husband ended up quitting his full-time job. And we bought a Honda Element and put a, several hundred pairs of sandals in the back of it and just traveled the United States of America for, I don't even know how long, for close to a year um, doing this, like speaking on college campuses and then selling sandals afterwards, like doing trunk shows in people's homes, looking for retail partners. So like just cold calling boutiques and walking in and showing them the product line and sharing the story with them and really setting the foundation of our business. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it obviously scales and grows into what it is today. What has that looked like since then? How, when was that? How long has this been? Because wow. Yeah, it's been, so we started Seiko about 10 years ago. Um, and since then, we have now enabled hundreds of women in East Africa, not just Uganda, but now Ethiopia as well, to continue on to university and become leaders in their communities. We've got um, thousands of artists and partners around the globe. We've got partners in Uganda and um, Kenya and Ethiopia and Peru and India. And most excitingly is we have worked with and enabled hundreds of female, primarily female, you don't have to be, <laughs> impact entrepreneurs here in the U.S. So about Three years ago, we switched our model completely from being a wholesale model, so selling our product to stores that then sell them to their end customer and um, pivoted to a direct sales model, meaning we now work with independent um, consultants. We call them fellows across the United States who share the product and they style their friends and they earn an income. And we have women from all different walks of life. We've got women who are like, hey, I love this story. I want to build an ethical wardrobe and this will be my little side hustle that'll help me just kind of like finance getting to buy pretty handbags and amazing shoes and accessories and clothes. And then we have women who are like, hey, I'm an impact entrepreneur and I want to make a big impact and I want to lead a team and I want to quit my full-time job and really walking alongside those women to say like, hey, you can do that here at Seiko. We will provide you with the product, with the brand, with the impact, with the logistics. You go out build a customer base, build a following, um, serve those customers by, you know, hosting events and styling them and providing amazing customer service. And uh, together you will become an amazing high impact entrepreneur. And so that is what um, we're up to right now. So in addition to creating community and opportunity for women in developing economies where our products are made, I'm really using our business model also to create community and opportunity for women right here at home. Oh, that is so cool. And I love of your heart and the, the specific phrase actively co-create. Is it cool to see the women stateside linking arms with women overseas to truly actively co-create kind of this change and this impact? I mean, that's, that's really cool. What are some of the oh stories gosh. you've heard? It is absolute magic. You know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about in our business is that, you know, we're, I'm just like not really interested in working with a bunch of a bunch of women from America who like are like, bless your heart. Let's go help some poor women. In <laughs> East Africa. 
You know, that's just like not interesting to me. And it's not what I believe about the world. What I am fantastically interested in is like, what are the problems women are facing here in the U.S.? What are the problems women are facing in Uganda? What are the opportunities women in Uganda have? What are the opportunities we have? And really figuring out where that sweet spot is. And to create a community of women who are waking up every day here in the U.S. and get to say like, I am doing work that matters. Like I'm selling, I'm selling product. I'm styling my friends. I'm hosting events. I'm doing customer service follow-up. But in that, know that I am a part of this big, beautiful story that hundreds of women across the globe are going on to university. They're making change in their own communities. And I get to be a part of that is so life-giving. And then it's also incredible for our team in Uganda to hear from women in the U.S. who have their own challenges, you know, whether that is a financial challenge of, you know, I've got three kids under the age of um, five. And it doesn't make sense for me to have a full-time job because I can't even make enough to pay for like daycare. But having this opportunity to have a flexible income has really lessened the stress, the financial stress that my family has. And we're able to travel and we went on our first family vacation. Or for a woman who says, you know, like I, you know, had this full-time job that I love and that I still love, but man, I just like, I don't feel like I have a sense of community or a sense of purpose. And then I found Seiko and I found this sisterhood and I found this community. And when I, when I joined it, I realized that, oh my gosh, these are my people. These are my sisters. I have these lifelong friendships. I'm traveling to Uganda. I'm having these experiences of a lifetime. And for a Ugandan woman to hear that, to hear like, hey, this isn't just about the ways in which we can help you. This is your story too. And when you show up to your job and you're making sandals and you're working hard and you're being creative and you're doing great work, like you are positively contributing and making an impact in the life of a woman across the globe from you. Um, and I really believe that that is, that is the sweet spot. Like that is true community when we can create things that are mutually beneficial, um, where both people get to come to the table and they get to take, and they also get to give. And that ultimately I think is what community is about. Man. I mean, that is incredible and I love it. So what, what sparked you putting kind of this message into a book and sharing the lessons you've learned through running Seiko into Beginner's Pluck and how did that kind of come to life? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was primarily through this journey of what I was talking to you about of switching our business model. And now, um, in addition to just like, I have to figure out how to run my company. And part of that is figuring out how to teach and encourage and equip other women to start and grow their own businesses. And through that process specifically, but really it started before then. It started with me. Sorry, I just burped. That was gross. <laughs> you can edit that out. Um, it started with me, you know, getting invitations to travel across the country world, really, and share my story and how I built Seiko and hearing from listeners and hearing from um people who would reach afterwards or now that I'm, you know, running the Seiko Fellows Program, hearing from fellows firsthand, like here are the mindsets and here are the things that are holding people back. These are the things that are keeping people from taking a risk. They're keeping them feeling like stuck and scared and overwhelmed and really leaned in and listened to that. And I had this moment a few years ago where I was like, oh my gosh, like I think that everything that we are hearing in popular culture right now about what it means to follow your dreams and find your purpose and, you know, and, um, you know, dream big is actually doing the opposite of what we hoped it would do. We hope it's inspiring and motivating. And what's really happening is it's creating some fear and anxiety and serious analysis paralysis. And so this book is really looking at those narratives and challenging those narratives. But I, I deeply believe in like, hey, it's not, 
like the critic's voice is easy. It's easy to say this isn't helpful. If I'm going to do that, I need to come to the table with like, here's what we're going to replace it with. And this is what this book is. It is, um, it's my story. It's super autobiographical, lots of stories of the ups and downs of, um, launching and starting and growing Seiko and personal stories that don't have anything to do with Seiko. Um, but in addition to my story, it's the 14 principles that I truly believe. Um, if people adopt these mentalities and mindsets in, in, in shifts in the way that they're thinking about how to go about, um, quote unquote, finding their passion. One of my first chapters is like, Hey, you're never going to find your passion, (laughs) but you can build it. And this is what it looks like to do that. And that's what this book is, is it's, it is my heart and kind of the fire in my belly that I have for our generation to say, like living a life of passion and purpose is so worth it. It is so, so, so worth it. It's difficult, but it's worth it. But here are the tools and the mindsets that I think are going to enable you to actually do that and hopefully propel you out of waiting and into creating. Oh, yeah, girl. Okay. I love this. And I'm with you. I think a lot of the content around dreaming, inspiration, aspirational living, et cetera, et cetera, is causing analysis paralysis. So what out of your 14 principles in your book, what principle or two, which ones have been most well-received of like, oh my gosh, that, that was it. That's what I needed to actually move forward. Do you know what? I, the feedback that I have been getting on the book, the first chapter of the book is called own your average. And this was a hard chapter to write because, you know, here I am like writing this book that I promise is going to inspire and motivate you. And I open it up by saying like, hey, we need to talk about something. (laughs) And that is like, you think that the narrative you need to believe about yourself in order to go on and do something awesome is that you are inherently awesome. Like that you are super special, that you're probably smarter than you think you are, more talented, and you just have to like own it and find your, you know, your extraordinary special self and then let that come out into the world. And then, and then you will do something awesome when you finally realize how awesome you are. And I really challenge that narrative and uh, kind of tell readers like, hey, here's the thing. Like, statistically speaking, you probably are pretty average. Like, this is how averages <laughs> work, right? Like, we're all kind of hanging out somewhere there in the middle of the bell curve when it comes to our inherent gifts and talents and skill sets and intellect. And when we just like own that and when we're okay with that, what happens is that that actually frees us up to put all of that energy that we would have put into kind of protecting our ego into building building something really, really cool. And when we stop believing this narrative that it's like, well, I need to be extraordinary in order to do something extraordinary. Well, that leaves a lot of people to sit and to wait until they believe or worse until someone else finds them and tells them how extraordinary they are. And then they actually believe it before they can go on and do something really incredible. And so I really, really challenge people to say like, Hey, you're probably pretty average, but the awesome news is You don't have to be inherently extraordinary to build an extraordinary life. Oh my gosh. You are speaking to me right here. (laughs) So how did you come to a place where you had to live out, learn that lesson? I would assume yes, but I mean, I'm an Enneagram seven. I want to be extraordinary, magical, wonderful, magnificent. So (laughs) so how, and and I don't necessarily need uh, other people to tell me that. And my self-talk is thankfully pretty nice. But I can sit around and wait until I think I'm ready to be extraordinary enough to fulfill my destiny, whatever. So how did uh, you arrive at that, embracing your average? 
message. I, I share a lot about this in the book and really the whole book. <laughs> Stories about this are really woven in and out. Um, but I think for me, a part of it was like growing up, I felt like I was pretty good at a lot of things, but I didn't have my thing that I, you know, that it was like I had friends who it was sports and I had other friends who was academics and I had other friends who it was like choir and like, and they were the best and they were the most extraordinary, you know, compared to their, to their peer competition. And I didn't have that growing up. Um, I was good. Like I was smart. Um, I could carry a tune, but like was never the best, you know, just like everything that I tried, I was like pretty decent at, but I was never like extraordinary. And that created a lot of fear in me as a kid. Like I remember pretty early on being like, what's my thing? Like, what am I really, really, really special and good at? And really that kind of followed me like all throughout high school and then college of kind of this thing that, you know, like I'm good, I'm decent, I'm like smart enough, but I'm not like especially amazing. And in my story of starting and growing Seiko, what I love about it is that it, you know, I joke that I was an accidental entrepreneur in the sense that, again, I let my excitement and my passion for this specific problem become the thing that drove me. And had I like come up with this identity, had I said like, I'm extraordinary, I'm an extraordinary journalist and I'm going to make my like identity be around, I'm a really good journalist. I would have showed up in Uganda and I would have done journalism. You know, had I said like, oh, I'm an extraordinary, uh, you know, nonprofit leader, like I would have made a nonprofit and frankly, it probably wouldn't have worked and it wouldn't be around. But I think that um, in my story, I saw how kind of getting to a point where I was like, I don't know what I'm that good at. I don't know what I'm that extraordinary at. But then I almost like in a great way got distracted by this fantastically interesting, important problem that felt like it was more interesting than my problem over here. Of like, what am I good at? You know, like, <laughs> what am I really, really special at? And then through that process, I got really, really good at some things because I was so committed to solving this problem. And I learned how to do the things that I needed to do in order to make the impact that I wanted to make. And, um, you know, the whole spirit of this book is that like that is excellence is not a requisite for starting starting is how you become excellent and, and digging in and doing the hard work and staying curious and innovating and, um, and evolving is, is, is how we do that work. I love that. So it sounds like kind of embracing your average allows you to be malleable enough for your dream to sh take shape versus sitting around being paralyzed and never doing anything. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I love it. I 100% agree. And, you know, my own dreams have evolved 10,000 times. So what has the evolution of Seiko specifically, or, or really your personal life, whatever, what has that evolution looked like? Because for me, you know, I love hearing from people doing impactful work that are willing to share about those hard moments, those big pivots, because I think it normalizes that for everyone listening. I think for people who want to launch their own dream or do whatever they're meant to do on this earth, they think, you know, they've got a beeline, you know, have a very direct path from A to Z. But we all see that Instagram doodle of like, you know, the maze people take, you know, we think people are going to go A to Z, but really you're like taking all these twists and turns to really get to the final product. 
um, and what really everyone sees. We all see, you know, the pretty little bow on the end, but really there's a lot of twists and turns. So many twists and turns. And that is, you know, really in my hope with the book was to really bring readers along for the real journey of like, here were the moments where I felt lost. Here were the moments where I almost gave up. Here were the moments where I really, really questioned myself in the direction that I was taking as opposed to like, you know, hopping straight to like, look what we've built and we're, you know, we've got this incredible community and we've created this incredible impact, but to really hope bring, um, you know, help, help readers come along in that. And so for my, yeah, from my perspective, it went from like, oh, I was a journalist and then I was a nonprofit leader and then I was a chicken farmer and then I was a fashion company leader, but also like did manufacturing. And, and now I'm, you know, in this space, frankly, that is really evolving with like the book and with coaching my community and with like taking the tools that I've learned over the last 10 years and then um, enabling other entrepreneurs to go out. And and really our, our model and our heart behind our model is to kind of democratize social entrepreneurship it is to inspire other people to do that, but not just by kind of from a far place saying like, go, you can do it. But instead saying like, go, you can do it. And if you'd like, come do it alongside us where we will give you tools and training and inspiration and community and all of the things that frankly, I wish I would have had 10 years ago starting this company. Um, um, and that's kind of that's kind of where we are now. That is awesome. I mean, it sounds like you are queen empowerer. So <laughs> I love like the practical tips and tools that you, you know, are so passionate about sharing within your book and like kind of kind of disassembling the fluff because I think you're right. Like you said earlier, I think a lot of the content around purpose and dreaming and impact is actually leaving people paralyzed with what do I do next? I don't know how to start. I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. And so, you know, as you kind of move forward, like you mentioned, I'm sure things are even evolving now as beginners pluck is making its way out into the world. You're on a book tour. Tell us like what you've got going on currently. Yeah. So this month is just going to be all about getting beginner's pluck out into the world and then getting to see and to connect with the people who are reading and resonating with it. So we next week, well, we kind of kicked off our tour down in LA and we are continuing it. We are hitting up Seattle and Portland and Colorado and Denver and Austin and Dallas and um, Minneapolis on a Beginner's Pluck book tour. So we are partnering with the Yellow Co., which is an amazing organization of female entrepreneurs and movers and shakers, and the Riveter, which is a female co-working space, um, to just host an evening of storytelling. A big part of what we want to do is gather local leaders to kind of come share their story, the ways in which they embody Beginner's Pluck, uh, their greatest pluck-ups, uh, and sharing, you know, their successes and failures along the way. And with really with the hope that people walk away inspired to become more of who they were created to be. I love it. And I cannot wait for the Denver stop. I am just so excited. I think this will be coming out the week of the Denver stop. And so it, man, I could talk to you all day long. What would you say to the person kind of just starting out the beginner? Well, I would say, beginner, you might feel insecure about being a beginner. You might feel unequipped. You might feel like you don't have the right experience or connections or know-how, but I want you to know that you actually are in a really magical good place. There are things that will come to you easier. There will be mindsets that you naturally adopt that will actually work in your favor. So You don't have to pretend. You don't have to feel like you've got it all figured out. You are actually in the magical land of beginners. And all you need to do is just own it. Own your inner beginner. 
learn how to kind of channel that intentionally, those mindsets, and uh, you will go on to build something really incredible. Oh, I 1000% agree. So to piggyback off of that, what about the person in the trenches who really kind of needs to go back to that beginner mindset, but they feel like there's more at stake. They've got more skin in the game. There's a lot to lose. Please read my book. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Honestly, because, you know, I wrote it for the, I, I say for those who are at the starting block or at the crossroads, like those who are at the starting block, they are already probably doing these things and they just need to learn how to be intentional about channeling it and having confidence in it. Those of us who are one, two, five, 10, 20 years into our career, there is a lot that will keep us from acting and thinking like beginners. So it's almost even more important for those people to read this book and to understand how they can intentionally kind of cultivate getting back to the beginning. Well, that is me. Um, My Radiant listeners know this has been a hell of a year at a major crossroads. So I've been eagerly anticipating this book, Beginner's Pluck. Where can everyone find you? Where can they snag a copy? Yeah, absolutely. You can buy a copy wherever books are sold. So Target, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, all the things. Um, and you can find more about what we're doing over at Seiko at SeikoDesigns.com. And that's S-S-E-K-O. And, you know, we're on all the socials as well. And then you can find me at Liz Bohannon, uh, mainly on Instagram where I'm most active. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Liz. Thank you so much. Such a joy. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other.